This Sunday is always one of those Sundays where as a pastor you're, you're never really quite sure what's going to happen. And, and Fourth of July is, is kind of in the same order. And uh, we're wrapping up a series that we've called Encountered Jesus. And the whole idea is to follow the interactions, the impact that resulted when people met the resurrected Christ. And so we started this a long time ago, and this, this actually the next week is our last week. Phil is going to bring us a message about the Apostle Paul. And we began way back with actually Phil, like six weeks ago, talking about Jesus and Thomas and the whole idea of faith and doubts. And, and the idea, it's kind of, you know, poor Thomas has been labeled doubting Thomas because he asked to see the, the wound. He just didn't believe. But that's actually completely normal. We, we kind of see doubt as being toxic to faith. It doesn't have to be. When you engage those doubts and have those questions and you actually ask God and ask others, like, this is how faith is built and how it grows. The next week, we, we encountered Peter and the disciples who met Jesus on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, we learned that Christ calls us out of our, our old way of life in the world that are often just dead ends. And so what happens when we have unexpected setbacks or we make mistakes that affects our relationship with God? You know, do we just kind of go our own way and go back to what feels normal and, and comfortable? Or do we allow Christ to restore and redeem us and to set us on a new path once again? Then we learn the central reality of the resurrection. Matt Randall spoke on this, this really weird belief that Christians have that Jesus was in fact raised from the dead and that God promises the same for those who follow him. Then we walked the road to Emmaus where two disciples unknowingly met the resurrected Christ to see how disillusionment and discouragement and dis disappointment can make us numb to the reality and the presence of God in our life. And you know, their eyes weren't fully open to the presence of Jesus until they broke bread together. That's what the scriptures say. They broke bread together with Jesus. And one reason that we gather, one that it's so important to gather every week as the church, the ecclesia, is to worship with one another and to break bread. It can make all the difference to us when we're in these seasons of life where we're experiencing disappointment and disillusionment. Then we ventured with Jesus at his ascension. We learned the critical pieces in God's plan that he wasn't ushering in the fullness of his kingdom by drawing people, uh, peoples of the earth to Jerusalem, that he was, in fact, sending the disciples out, just like he does us. Last week, Confirmation Week, God Story Week, Julia preached, and uh, she did such a great job, didn't she? I, I, was, I, I was in awe. You know, she, she's, I don't think she's ever done that before. Uh, she looked like a pro, so... Uh, very, very proud of Julia and all the hard work that she put into that. But um, she told us about Mary Squared, as she calls them, who were the first two people to meet the resurrected Jesus at the empty tomb. And how God often uses people who might feel the least likely, the least important to further his mission. And today, we're going to encounter Jesus at Pentecost. Pentecost is the day that we celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit. And especially its power, his power to transform our lives. And Pentecost is also recognized as the birthday of the church. It's when the Apostle Peter stood up in Jerusalem and uh, preached one of the first messages about 
Jesus and his resurrection, and 3,000 people, the book of Acts tells us, responded and were baptized that day. It was a significant milestone in establishing God's kingdom here on earth. And the kingdom of God was a very prominent topic of Jesus for his disciples. You know, as the Messiah, which means anointed king, everyone expected Jesus to establish a kingdom, a monarchy, just like King David. They expected Jesus, the Messiah, to restore the borders and the fortunes of the nation of Israel. And there was a very decided, understandably so, a very decided nationalistic, is what we would call it, kind of tone to this whole idea of the kingdom of God. But Jesus wasn't real interested in their small thinking, just as he's probably not interested in our small thinking today. God's kingdom was much bigger than that. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the line from the Lord's Prayer. But still, the disciples were a little bit fuzzy on this whole kingdom idea, what it meant, and how exactly it was going to be established. And so at the start of Acts, the writer Luke tells us this. This is chapter 1, verse 3. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Okay, so they're still working through this lake. So really, this is you. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So you'll notice that the occasion for him talking to them was teaching about the kingdom. I mean, he was doing this right up until the end. And that should clue you in to how important this kingdom idea was to Jesus. It's like the last thing that he was talking about with his disciples. And one of the best descriptions I've heard for the kingdom of God is that it's heaven breaking into earth. It's God's reign being established here among people like you and me. And there are many different approaches, I guess, theological interpretations, uh, understandings on how the kingdom develops. And I happen to be from the approach that believes you change nations, cultures, and societies by changing the hearts of the people that live in them. That's just the, the camp, the, the tribe that I happen to belong to. There's other ways to look at that and understand it. One is decidedly top-down, but the one I operate in, the, the water I swim in, is the bottom-up approach. You, you change culture by changing people's hearts. And the kingdom of God grows one person, one heart at a time, which means that every generation has to choose. Every generation has to decide on their own. This also means that the kingdom of God isn't happening all at once. But it started 
And Jesus will bring it to fruition, to completion, when he comes back again. Until that time, we have this interim space, right? Where he's given us his Holy Spirit to help and guide us. So then Jesus ascended into heaven. And right before he left, they asked him, this is Acts 1, 6 through 8, Lord, are are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I mean, see, they're still thinking in this like, this is a country with borders and armies and government, you know. And Jesus is like, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And you have to wonder, did the disciples have any idea, any clue, first of all, of what he was talking about with the kingdom? But secondly, when he said, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. What would that be like? Well, what Jesus intended was that this was going to be total mind-blowing transformation for his disciples. And so they waited. They waited. I wonder what you would do, what I would do, if Jesus told you to stay in Jerusalem until you received power from this mysterious Holy Spirit. I mean, I'm guessing that we'd probably wait. At least I would like to think there. I mean, he said it would just be a few days, right? Just, just hang out here. Yet I find in my own life um, such impatience when things don't happen fast enough for my liking. Uh, We we were joking about this at one of our staff meetings, you know, about asking God to help you develop patience. That's about like one of the worst prayers you can pray, right? Because he doesn't develop the patience. He gives you situations where you have to utilize patience, right? And that's how it grows. Just give it to me. Shoot me with the cosmic ray gun and give me patience. And so things don't happen fast enough for my liking. But then I will confess that I'm especially frustrated when stuff starts to happen too fast. You know what I mean? Like, God, please help find the happy medium here for my life. But I do appreciate what the disciples do in this situation. Maybe we can learn something from them. I actually never really noticed this until I was going through this passage this week. They prayed. What a concept, right? They prayed. Even though they have a very vague idea about Jesus' plan, there's still a ton of uncertainty in their life, and so they pray. Acts 1, 13 and 14. They return from where Jesus ascended into heaven, They went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those presents were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, one of my favorites, and Judas, son of James. Verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. There was a lot of people mentioned there. We'll talk about that in just a second. 
But notice they all join together constantly in prayer. The English Standard Version of uh, the Bible puts it this way. All these disciples, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. There's an ongoing and continuing aspect to this. It wasn't just a once. There's like in motion almost. With one accord means being of one mind, of mutual consent, unanimity. I want to ask you, how is that possible? And for those of you schooled in Sunday school answers, you'll say, A, it's Jesus. No, it's the Holy Spirit. That's how that's possible. That's how they're with one accord. They're of one mind. They're unanimity. I mean, how could you say that about any group of people? But I want to remind you, it's not the Holy Spirit yet. The Spirit technically hasn't arrived on the scene. This is before the Spirit comes upon them. So maybe you're thinking, well, of course they're united, Dan. Why are you making such a big deal out of this? They were, they were just with Jesus. They share so much in common. They have a common experience, a common culture, common beliefs, common values. Really? Look at that list of people. There's several pairs of brothers. We know that brothers always see eye to eye, don't they? Yeah. Uh, there's men and women together, and there's obviously never any disagreements between men and women. Uh, how about Simon the Zealot and Matthew, the tax collector? You know, that's... To put it in perspective, that's like a right-wing militiaman and a government co-conspirator. Those people get along all the time, don't they? I mean, just look how it turned out for Seattle. You, You can't put that group of people in a room and expect unanimity. But it's there. How? Well, maybe it's because They are all listening to Jesus, and they've decided to actually do what he said. That has to do with his presence. Maybe they've elevated the mission that Jesus has given them above everything else that might pull them apart. We'll call that purpose. And finally, Because I'm a pastor, and we always like to find three things that start with the same letter. (laughs) They're constantly in prayer. Amen? There's Christ's presence, there's great purpose, and there's prayer. In John 15, Jesus tells his followers to abide in him, to stay connected. It leads to fruitfulness that God produces. Here we see the fruit of unity, even among a diverse group that isn't sure about what happens next. What would be possible? I mean, if that was possible before the Holy Spirit, what would be possible for us now? If we're united by Christ's presence, by his mission and purpose, by prayer, and by God's Spirit, dwelling in us. You know, over the last year as a church body, we've been in a season that I, I'm talking about this now with different groups of you. We've been in a season that, that I've decided 
the best way to describe it is we're abiding. We're waiting. We're staying connected to the Lord, even though we're not 100% sure as a church body what happens next. And we've been devoting ourselves to prayer. Uh, That's why I talk about it so much from up front. I want us to learn how to listen and how to dialogue with the Lord as individuals and also as a church community. And so this spring, we've made an intentional effort among our leadership team to pray. And I know you might be wondering, you know, didn't you always do that? Yeah. We would start our meeting with a prayer. We would end our meeting with a prayer. We would pray for specific people and situations as needed. I know that, like, on our own, we would pray, um, you know, for the job that we're doing as a leadership team. This is something more. We, we asked Lynn Lindbergh, uh, who's a spiritual director and also a preschool teacher, okay, so th- that's good for us, um, to come in and work with our leadership team members to sharpen our listening skills in prayer. And it's actually been fun, is a word that I would use, even though all of us would probably admit that we wished we were better at it. And I don't know if better at it is even the right word but it kind of feels like we're building new muscles. Now, I've been praying with groups of people my entire life as a Christian, but also as a pastor. And so, you know, you think about all of your experiences that you've had with different kinds of prayer and different settings and groups of prayer. And the first week that we did this together, uh, this was like some time back in February, uh, I noticed, I, I, I got done with our meeting, done with the prayer time, and I was, I was sitting there, and I was actually talking with John and Lynn, and I was like, everybody talked, because she makes us talk. Uh, and, and maybe it's because she's a preschool teacher, and so she's, you know, got that mental leverage on us. I don't know. But everybody, you know, we did our prayer session in time. I think there was even crayons involved. I mean, it was, it was weird um, for some of us. But then we talked about what happened. And like, I, th- I think everybody shared. And I was like, that, that never happens in a group of people that pray. I mean, m- most of the time, one or two people share. They kind of dominate, right? But like everybody had something to say. That was incredible. And we spend a third of our meeting time in prayer, listening to the Lord together. First, we're trying to learn how to do it as individuals. But, but the, the real goal is to learn how to pray as a group together. And what I've noticed that instead of those times getting shorter, which is what I would assume happened, they've actually started to kind of get a little longer. I think that that's pretty cool. We're asking the Lord what he'd like for us to do next. You see, we want to align our direction and our energy with God. Discernment means something different for followers of Christ than it does for everyone else. In a secular setting, Discernment means you use sound judgment. You get some good, smart people together in a room. They put together a a good plan using sound judgment, and you do it. It's discernment. Not in the church. In the church, for Christian, discernment means I'm listening to the Lord and trying to figure out what he's telling me to do how he's guiding us. And sometimes we make mistakes. That's why we do it in a group, okay? So that it's not just 
me and my own thoughts, but it's actually us together as a group. Huge difference. Now, you know, when you're, when you're following the Lord and you've discerned that and you've aligned yourself with where he's calling or leading, well, you know, sometimes then you're going to, what should I do? And, of course, n- not every decision that you make in life comes into this, well, I didn't hear from the Lord. You know, he did give us sound judgment to make good decisions. Yes. But we want to make sure first we're headed in the right direction, that we're listening. And if we don't head in the right direction, he's going to redirect us if we're paying attention. So I know that you're probably thinking you're shocked, right? Like, I thought churches always did that. Maybe to varying degrees. It's a skill, it's a muscle that has to be built up. And so we're learning how to do that together. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. So what happened next has been the source of controversy ever since that day. You see, the tongues that they're talking about here were other native languages that people who didn't come from those countries could speak. This didn't make any sense. People had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. They were celebrating this. They were from all over the Mediterranean world. And now they heard Jesus' disciples, who were not from those places, addressing them in their native language. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Maybe one of my favorite passages in the Bible right there. When is the last time you went to a church meeting and you came home and you were like, yeah, I don't know. That was pretty wild. You know, was it the Holy Spirit or was it too much wine? Right? Like, that's like, like never. Um, Obviously, this sort of movement of God's spirit doesn't still happen. Does it? I mean, there's lots of churches around the world. And we've all kind of split up into our own perspective camps where we feel comfortable. And some churches put a major emphasis on this. You'll notice that I am not serving at one of those churches. But that doesn't mean I don't think it still happens. Um, I've personally seen this happen, a movement of God's spirit. And the spirit of God will equip his followers with whatever ability they need to meet the needs of his kingdom. And uh, specifically with language. Uh, When I was in college, I met a young woman from China who was in the United States for just a very short period. It was like an English language immersion thing that she was doing. And she had only been a Christian for a very short period of time. And she was prepping. She She was learning English because she had to do some 
she needed some training so that she could go back to China and serve there. And you might be aware of, of how difficult it is for English speakers to learn Chinese and Chinese speakers to learn English. Okay, that's really hard. Guess how long she had been trying? Like less than nine months. And she did not have much of an accent at all. Now, she was either a, a linguistic genius, or maybe it was the Holy Spirit. A friend of mine, close friend, in Iowa, he uh, went to work for a Christian organization where he started youth groups in small towns, and so he was doing youth ministry in kind of isolated areas. So he would do these, you know, worship times, and no one there was like musical. He didn't have anybody who could do the music piece for him. And so he, you know, began to pray like, God, we need somebody to help us do music. And he was the total like jock, right? The sports person. He did not have a musical bone in his body. So he thought. He learned how to play the piano extremely well in like less than a year's time so that he could lead these worship sessions for kids. And YouTube didn't exist yet. Wasn't even thought of. He just started plunking around on the piano and some people, oh, let me show you this. And he, would just, he just picked it up like a sponge. He was good in less than a year. Now, maybe he had this latent music gene that was in his family and they never knew it was there. Or maybe it was the Holy Spirit. If we open our eyes and we begin to notice the world around us, we'll see and hear stories like this over and over. But if we stay in our own little comfortable bubble and we never need to actually depend on God to come through like that, maybe we won't. The Holy Spirit, whenever the people of God lack a skill to complete the mission of God, the Spirit of God never fails. And so I wonder what spiritual gifts, what special abilities are yet to be uncovered right here. Maybe it's something God's given to you that you just need to step out of your comfort zone and, and start to use. Ever since the day called Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has been here in power among those who put their faith in Jesus. And he wants to transform your life in big ways, in small ways. So don't settle. Don't settle for the version of the gospel that puts the emphasis on just knowing Jesus died for you and by grace has rescued you from eternal judgment. That is true. But also there's more to it than just knowing the right information. God wants to dwell with you. He wants to be within you that you would have a real, living, minute-by-minute -minute connection and relationship with him through his Holy Spirit. You know, I think the biggest transformation waiting for us who follow Jesus is the one where it's living by the Spirit. And maybe you've never learned to hear God's voice, or maybe it's just been a really, really, really long time. But by hearing God's voice, I mean the same thing as saying being led by the Spirit or living by the Spirit. I mean, people use different words and phrases. They might say a prompting of the Holy Spirit, a whisper, a nudge. 
whatever. Don't follow Jesus without having that experience. And it might not be something that you can just, well, of course it is, because it's God. God can do anything. But often, these things are learned when you're in connection with other followers of Jesus. We can show you. We can do this together. And for those of you that are worried that if I start paying attention, God's going to ask me to do something that may completely embarrass me. It might make me look bad. I mean, I've seen other Christians do these weird things, and I don't want to be that. Well, I've got news for you. First, God wants you to get over yourself. Second, why would God, your father who loves you and died for you, want to embarrass you and make you look, at, look bad? Why would God want to do that? He loves you. And even in my own life, I have to wrestle with that. I mean, true, sometimes God wants to push us out of our comfort zone and into areas where we might not feel comfortable, we might feel awkward. And in those moments, it's completely natural to feel like the spotlight's on you. Oh, I'm stepping out here in faith, and oh, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't say the right thing, or I didn't do it. Was that the prompting of the Holy Spirit? Did I look like... Like, we always... It's always about us, right? And nobody else noticed. So we have to get over ourselves, move past that. And receive God's love. He's not going to embarrass us. The shame that might come with trying to step out in faith and follow the Spirit isn't shame from God. It's not coming from God. And so when you start to pay attention and you notice the presence and the promptings of the Holy Spirit every day, let me tell you, it's liberating. It's joyous. Don't settle for anything less. Anything less than the hard-to-put-your-finger-on-it reason why you feel so joyful, genuine, friendly, patient, graceful, self-forgetful, generous, loyal, and loving. These are the fruit that God wants to grow in us when we stay connected to him. So there's two things we celebrate on Pentecost. The transformative power of the Holy Spirit and also the birthday of the church. I'm going to talk about more about that in a few weeks, not today. Today is about celebrating. Celebrating the gift of God's Holy Spirit to us. And that's what we remember on this weekend. Amen. Please join me in prayer. I want to share with you a prayer of a 12th century German Benedictine. And her name is Hildegard of Bingen. And she said this, Holy Spirit, giving life to all life, moving all creatures, Root of all things, washing them clean, wiping out their mistakes, healing their wounds. You are our true life, luminous, wonderful, awakening the heart from its ancient sleep. Amen.